With all the craziness that has been happening in our world this last week with Las Vegas, uh, the, the hurricanes in, in uh, Puerto Rico, and then the one Nate that's coming into the Gulf right now, and just the, the evil that seems so rampant in our world. I wanted to preach a sermon on grace, and it's similar to a sermon I preached several years ago, but I think it's always appropriate just to remember what, what God is at, at work, what he is doing, because what you see around you is not the final word. It is not. God isn't finished yet, and he is doing something in our lives and in our world that will come to fruition one day, and in the meantime, we see his grace at work, and we live by faith. And I just want to encourage you in that today. John, I'm already losing my voice. I tell myself I'm not going to sing when we're leading up to the sermon so I can save my voice for, for, for preaching. But when we start singing, great is thy faithfulness, I just lose control. I just, so my voice, thank you so much for just inspiring us all to sing the best we can. The story of grace I see it in Ruth and Naomi, and I'm going to start reading the first part of Ruth 1 and then the end of the book of Ruth, and then skip over to Matthew chapter 1 to see how it all, how the story evolves. Thank you, thank you. Because I want you to know how it, how it ends up. Ruth 1, 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. Now, we went to the Holy Lands in May, and I can tell you Judah is up here in the northeast part of Palestine. Moab's way down here in the southwest. It is several hundred miles apart. It is a long journey and a lengthy sojourn that Elimelech and his wife Naomi have in Moab. A certain man went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. We know where Bethlehem is. It's just right up there on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons, these took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, the name of the other Ruth, and they lived there about 10 years. That's a lengthy period of time. Both Malon and Kilion died, so the woman was bereft of her two sons and her husband. Then she started with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food back up in Judah. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The dead, her husband, her two sons, their husbands, and with me. The Lord grant that you find a home, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. Now you know what happens. Verse 16, Orpah agrees to stay behind, but Ruth said in verse 16, Entreat me not to leave you, nor to return from, you hear this in weddings, nor to return from following you. When I use this in a wedding, I usually don't say it's words from a daughter-in-law to a mother-in-law, but anyway... 
For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if even death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she said, do not call me Naomi. Incidentally, Naomi means pleasant. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has afflicted me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. You know what happens at barley harvest? Boaz is out reaping the harvest and he sees Ruth out gathering the leftover gleanings and he tells some of his his farmers, his workers to leave extra, extra wheat in the field, extra barley for Ruth and her mother-in-law. And they do that. And Ruth and Boaz fall in love. Verse 16 in chapter 4. Let me back up to verse 13. Boaz, and you're going to need to keep your Bibles open because I'm going to be flipping back and forth. Boaz took Ruth, she became his wife, and he went in with her, and the Lord gave her conception. She bore a son. The women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without next of kin. May his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of your life and a nourisher in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has borne him. Naomi took the child and laid him in her bosom, became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. You see where this is headed? Over to Matthew 1, the genealogy of Jesus, just verses 5 and 6. This is the, the genealogy. Salmon, the father of Boaz whom Ruth marries. Boaz is a son of Rahab. You remember Rahab? Her reputation? Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. We just learned about Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. So that's the David who is the grandson of Boaz and Ruth the great-grandson of Naomi, when things looked like they were falling apart. God wasn't finished. Pray with me. Father, as we look at Ruth and Naomi and we think about the chaos in the world around us, remind us that you aren't done. <laughs> that there is grace, all-sufficient, unmerited favor for us right now. And you're going to work out your purposes to a perfect fruition, a completion of what you're doing here in this world. And even though we can't see the end right now, one day we will see and understand. So help us now to live by faith and trust you 
with what we don't understand. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was a kid, my favorite thing, well, after church on Sunday, we got the Sunday newspaper. I lived in Decatur. The Atlanta Constitution was a big newspaper, but my favorite part was the comics. It was an entire separate section printed in color. And on Sunday afternoon, I could grab that and lay it out on the floor and lie down and, and read comic after comic. My favorite was Peanuts. I could understand that. Charles Schultz, Snoopy. Every time Snoopy got on his doghouse and set his typewriter and set about to write a novel, you knew what the opening words were going to be. Do you remember? It was a dark and stormy night. Lucy, that obnoxious know-it-all neighbor of Charlie Brown, told Snoopy that was a stupid way to start a novel. And so Snoopy tore up the piece of paper he had begun, stuck another piece in his typewriter and said, and wrote, once upon a time, it was a dark and stormy night. <laughs> we laugh at that because in a way, I think we identify with it because all of us have had dark and stormy nights. All of us have known hardship and pain and difficulty. Maybe some of us are going through it right now. Some of us may be coming out of it and still lingering and, and some of us may be facing it yet ahead. There's so many causes of dark and stormy nights. Sometimes it's loneliness. I was thinking this week that you could probably get your high school diploma, your college degree, and advanced graduate degrees in college without ever seeing the face of another human being. <laughs> you can do it online now, can't you? We, we connect, we communicate with emails and Instagram and, and hardly ever see each other and communicate face-to-face -face anymore. So there can be great loneliness causing dark and stormy nights. Even in the midst of a crowd, you can be the loneliest person there. Sometimes there's a darkness of disappointment. Maybe there is a failure in your life that you hadn't anticipated. Maybe someone you trust betrays you. A relationship that you had depended on crumbles, and, and it's a dark and stormy night of disappointment. Maybe it's a dark and stormy night of decision and you want to do what God is wanting you to do and you've come to a fork in the road and you're crying out to him and you're asking God which way do I go what do I do and it seems you hear from him only silence and you're struggling and it's a dark and stormy night because a decision has to be made maybe it's a dark and stormy night of grief maybe someone you loved passed away years ago and you thought you had gotten over it, you thought that it was behind you and yet there was a sound or a smell or a memory that brought all that grief back up and it washed over your head like an ocean wave and almost knocked you off your feet. Maybe it's because of these dark and stormy nights that we can identify with Naomi. Naomi and Elimelech were from Bethlehem, but there arose a drought. Elimelech was a farmer, and one bad year turned into two, turned into three, and they were borrowing money, and soon the supply of money dried up as badly as the crops, and, and that's why Naomi knew what Elimelech was going to say when he came to her that evening, and he said, Naomi, we're going to have to move. We can't make a go of it any longer here in our hometown of Bethlehem. 
And so Elimelech and Naomi and their two sons, Malon and Kilion, pack up and they move far to the southeast, to the, the distant land of Moab. If there's any arable land in Moab, let me tell you, it's got to be pretty near the, the Jordan River because everything else is desert wasteland. I promise. So they begin to farm. And they get along fairly well. Elimelech cultivates the land, but something happens. Maybe it's some disease. Maybe it's some, something genetic that he had, but he began to, to weaken. And his breathing grew slower and raspier. And Naomi must have been holding his calloused hand until that moment when he breathed no more. And Elimelech passed away. Malon and Kilion, the two sons, picked up and, and tried to farm the land that their father had begun to cultivate. They took Moabite wives, Malon, Orpah, and Kilion married Ruth. And they were doing okay, but then something happened and Malon and Kilion also passed away. Maybe their names give us a clue. I don't know why anybody would name their children this, but Malon means sickly and Kilion means wasting away. So unless they were just underweight when they were born and, and maybe sickly their entire lives, who knows what happened to Malon and Kilion. But they had Orpah and Ruth, the two daughters-in-law, stayed on. Verse 5, chapter 1 of Ruth, both Malon and Kilion died so that the woman was bereft of her two sons and her husband. Those few words, bereft of her husband and her two sons, hardly does her grief justice. The woman and her husband and two sons come to Moab and there they are buried side by side. Elimelech, Malon, Kilion, her two sons. In the early morning hours, Naomi comes to a decision. She decides it's time to move back home to Bethlehem. She hears this rain there and at least there's familiar people there, maybe family that can take her in because she has nobody in Moab now. It's a man's world. Orpah and Ruth, maybe they can go back to the homes of their families and remarry and, and forge a future there, but there's nothing there for Naomi. It's time for her to go back home. And so she decides to do that and she tells Orpah and Ruth and at first there are tears all around and Orpah and Ruth insist on going back home with Naomi to Bethlehem, but Naomi says, no, you stay here. You can make a life here. You can still get married and have a family here, but, but nothing for me. At the last minute, Orpah agrees to stay, but Ruth won't take no for an answer. And so here go Naomi and Ruth traveling through the wasteland of Moab across the Jordan back up to the land of Judah and Bethlehem. There's a, a vision here, a sight that we must not miss because it seems to me that Naomi and Ruth are believers at different stages of life. Naomi has been a believer for a long time. Her faith in God has sustained her through some difficult times, but, but honestly right now that faith is standing on wobbly legs. And here is Ruth. She is a new believer and she is attracted to some extent in what she sees in the life of Naomi. It's, it's not a strong faith right now, but it is enough for Ruth to leave everything she had ever known, everything familiar behind in Moab, 
and journey with Naomi back up to Judah, to Bethlehem. Naomi, a believer who was struggling. Ruth, a young believer, a new believer. And so when they get home, as you can imagine, there is a lot of talk in the small village of Bethlehem. Here comes Naomi who left 10, 15 years ago with a Moabite woman, her daughter-in-law, whose husband is dead, named Ruth. Verse 19, so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? Are you, can you still, are you Naomi? After all these years, you've finally come back home. And Naomi said, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. Can you imagine calling Naomi forward in the synagogue and asking her to give her testimony? Naomi, come and tell us how the Lord has blessed you. And Naomi says, don't call me Naomi, because Naomi means pleasant. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter, because the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. That would send a hush over the evening prayer session, wouldn't it? A lot of people criticize Naomi at this point because they see her as giving up, as, as being full of self-pity. But I don't think so. I think Naomi is just being honest. And I've got to tell you, I will take honest doubt over shallow faith any day of the week. Don't dish out shallow platitudes. Everything's fine. The Lord's really blessing. No. Be honest. Honest doubt. Because that's the way you can grow. But Naomi, you don't know how it's going to end. You don't know the rest of the story. And that's true. Naomi has to live in the meantime. And that's the way it is with us. Because we don't know how it's all going to, to work out. We don't know what God is doing. We see, as it says in 1 Corinthians, we see now is through a, a mirror dimly. But one day we'll see face to face. And it'll all make sense and we will understand. But right now, we just, we just got to live by faith. Understanding only comes at the end of the road. And it is by faith that we have to live along the way. So living by faith. Naomi, if you could just see how it's all going to work out, when you get home, Ruth is going to catch the eye of Boaz, your kinsman. And... and Ruth and Boaz are going to get married and they're going to have a son and his name is going to be Obed and, and he's going to be like a son, a, a grandson to you, Naomi. You're going to take him and, and nurse him and, and provide the kind of love that he will need and Obed will have a son and his name will be Jesse and Jesse will have a son and his name will be David and out of David's lineage will come Jesus. Naomi, if you could just hang in there, it's all going to work out and it's going to be great. But Naomi can't see the end. And so it's by faith that she has to live. Well, what right do I have to talk about grief? I've got to admit, I've had a, a pretty easy life. I mean, I've had some difficulties, some challenges, some, some sadness. The very first thing that happened that really turned my world upside down, I guess, was 
August 21st, 1995. I was in my church in South Carolina and visiting nursing homes. It was before the days of cell phones and pagers, and Susan had been trying all day to get in touch with me, and it wasn't until I got home about 5 o'clock that she told me to come in the den and sit down. And she told me that my father had died unexpectedly that day. I, we gathered our things, drove from South Carolina to Decatur where I grew up. And I distinctly remembered it was a Monday. I remember getting up on Tuesday morning and going outside and looking up and seeing the sun shining and the sky blue. And I was surprised that the sun was still shining and the sky was still blue. How dare it? People were driving by, and it seemed like the world was going on as if nothing had happened. Did they not know that my father had died the day before? And the world was going on as if nothing had happened. It was a devastating blow. But thank God I had my mom, my sister, my wife, and my daughter to help me through the meantime. That's the way it was for Naomi. What would have happened to Naomi without Ruth? I don't know. But thank God she had somebody like Ruth to hold her up, to hug her, a shoulder to lean on. And incidentally, doesn't that say something about the importance of the church? When there's a hardship, I see people pull away, and, and I want to say, no, now's the time when you need us. When, when, when you need someone to walk alongside you and, and love you through the meantime and, and help you realize that even though this is impossible to do, you don't have to do it alone because God is with you. We know that because what Jesus did on the cross Jesus' suffering, his death, his resurrection all tell us that whatever we're going through, how, however awful, painful, and terrible it might be, Jesus suffered too. He knows what it's like to hurt. And because of his resurrection and the presence of the Holy Spirit with us now, we don't have to go through it alone. Naomi was struggling. And but Ruth saw something in her that was enough to, to stay beside her and to hang in there with her and to marry her kinsman Boaz and to give her grandson and a great-grandson and a great-great-grandson. I think it's amazing. It's, it's, it's fascinating that the, the grace that touched Ruth through Naomi didn't come in the bright lights of a superstar Christian to whom nothing bad ever happened. But it came through a person who was broken, but still believed, who hurt, but still hoped. And that's the way it is in our lives. We would rather be spared the tragedies. I know that. But could it be that somehow God uses those tragedies and that pain and those struggles to minister to the hurts and griefs and needs of others. I promise you, when something happens to you, God is not going to waste it. He's not. 
He's going to use it to teach you something about his grace in response to your faith. And when he does that, he's going to put someone else alongside you who's going through something similar. And he can redeem that, that sadness in your life to be an encouragement and an inspiration to, to that person and this one and this one who are walking a similar journey near you. He's not going to waste a single difficulty in your life. Jesus knows our pain because he suffered too. And the God who loves us enough to die for us is not going to abandon us now. But he's going to stand beside us and suffer with us. Because Jesus had dark and stormy nights. And he knows when we do too. There was a, an unorthodox theology professor at seminary. Bill will remember Dr. Frank Tupper. He was kind of crazy. Brilliant, but kind of different. But I got to tell you, I'll never forget the funeral service for his wife in seminary chapel. She died at the age of 40 of breast cancer. And the sight of Dr. Frank Tupper holding the hands of his 13-year-old son and his 10-year-old daughter following that casket up the aisle of the seminary chapel is not a sight I shall soon forget. Those that went to the funeral signed the register and a few weeks later got a printed note from Dr. Tupper. And it said this, The journey is long, the way is hard, and the healing is slow. But there is always grace for the journey. The journey is long, the way is hard, and the healing is slow. But there's always grace for the journey. This week I looked up Dr. Tupper online and there's a carrying bridge post for him. He fell in his home a couple months ago and pinched a nerve in his neck and he's paralyzed from his waist down. But I guarantee you, he would still testify that no matter what happens, there is grace for the journey. Thank God for the kind of grace that he extends to us through others. Thank God for the grace that's sufficient, all sufficient, for living in these days. And thank God for Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. Bow with me. Oh God, we would be spared the hardships of life. And yet following you is not an antidote for pain. It is an assurance that you're with us in it. And no matter what happens, your grace is sufficient and we're going to get through it. And one day, we're going to be able to look back in retrospect and see what you were doing and, and what you were working out in us and why that happened. 
we may never fully understand until we get to heaven and see you face to face. So in the meantime, help us live by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.